Today on the No City on the Sideline Dad Podcast, episode 109. It's all about how to deal with your mental and emotional health with Dr. Erica Steele on Holistic Family Practice. Next on the podcast, let's do this. Welcome to the No Sitting on the Sideline Dad Podcast, a podcast about a journey of discovery and conversations about not sitting on the sideline of life. Let's get involved. Here's host Joe Foley. Hey, welcome to episode No Sitting on the Sideline Dad Podcast. Hey, my name is Joe Foley. If you didn't realize, guy introduced me in the in the intro. I really do appreciate you being here. And this is your first time. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. This is the podcast, I think, uh, our journey of discovery, which I say all the time. But it's true. It's journey of discovery. stuff that I didn't know. Learn about things I didn't understand. And I get to share with you, which I find is so much fun and fascinating things to do, fun thing to do. Because I don't know everything. And that's kind of what my journey is about. I'm trying to figure this out one day at a time. And you choose to spend time listening. It really means a lot. Hey. We get to spend 30 minutes together, or you get to spend 30 minutes, yeah, we're together, me and you, with a guest. And we got to find out what different topics. Like today, it's a little bit about mental health. And I think it'll be kind of a fun journey to figure stuff out. I'm not an expert. I just try to find things out by talking to people. Well, that's how I figure it out with you. Next up, my guest, Dr. Eric Castillo from Holistic Family Medicine. We talk about mental health, emotional health for men and women. We both go with the same stuff. Dr. Erica shares her journey through dealing with her mental health from having a parent who, de- who were kind of dealing with her own issues and sure trying to, you know, being a kid and understanding where their parents are going through. My favorite quote in the episode is not a pill for every ill. It's true. It's interesting how motion can affect your whole body. And we all have journeys and it's okay to share your, your emotions. We all go through things. If you made it this far in life, we all have had something. Nothing. Our life is not perfect, and we can. And sometimes we need to seek professional help. And doctors like Dr. Erica Steele or a therapist. Dr. Erica shares a lot of her journey with us, and some of the stuff that is kind of personal, but it really is important to listen. She also some tips on how to deal with tough situations. So let's jump right in. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Erica Steele. Yeah, thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you for being here. I really do appreciate it. And um, you make people feel feel good and, and feel better of themselves. But one thing I was curious about, too, is your the family practice, the holistic family practice. What is that? Yeah, so I work with, obviously, families, right? But we work with families from a very holistic approach. So we educate. I'm a public health educator, so I educate my patients about diet, nutrition. I review their laboratory I give them um, concentrated nutraceuticals, which are high-grade supplements. I help with them with the relationships, right? So I teach them, I teach parents how to parent better and parent more effectively. I teach people that are married how to stay married and communicate. I teach people who have been divorced how to co-parent their children. I teach single parents how to balance their health while they're also managing their children. So it's it's all the different various dynamics to, to what plagues the human being. So whether that's mental, emotional health, uh, spiritual health and well-being, and even ancestral, which is like breaking all of those things that have been passed down to generation to generation that really don't serve us anymore. One thing that's interesting, too, about that, what you practice as a doctor, 
what is the difference in you and a regular doctor? Because maybe there's a lot of confusion sometimes. Oh, there's such a confusion. Yeah, there's a distinction for sure. So, you know, your your typical allopathic doctor. So allopathy is what that style doctor is. They're traditional, like a medical doctor, an osteopathic doctor. And what they're trained to do is to look at your symptoms and then diagnose those symptoms as a disease. They're trained to look for and find diseases, and then they treat those diseases within the body which is very different than a naturopathic doctor such as myself. We're trained to actually help the person facilitate their own healing, and we do that through education. So we believe that the body can heal itself if it's given the right environment, and we believe any kind of disease really stems from suffering, which is more imbalances within health. So that's accumulated toxins, whether that's emotional toxicity, whether that's heavy metals, chemicals from our environment, and then also poor diet lifestyle choices. What is it? How did that come about? What's the kind of history about holistic healing? Um, So I have actually been doing this for quite some time, been in this for 19 years. And I have six degrees in my field and I've treated over 30,000 patients. So, and I did that really because originally my mother who had mental illness um, had a psychotic break when I was eight. So we went from running around labs and doing all kinds of, you know, she took me to organic chemistry classes and all sorts of things together to then seeing this woman really just crippled. And so through that experience, it really taught me a lot about the will, but also too, that allopathic medicine is really limited, that um, there's only so much that it can actually do. And one thing that's sticking out to me, organic chemistry. What is it? Can you explain a little bit? Because I'm kind of curious what that is. Uh, organic chemistry. Um, well, it's been a long time since I've been in organic chemistry, I must admit. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's just one of the biosciences and learning kind of the organic aspects of it. It's it's pretty complicated. And I'm more in biochemistry these days. So I spend a lot more of my time in the biochemistry of the body, which is like, you know, your glucose numbers and your creatinine numbers and your liver enzymes and all of those sorts of things. You know, it's funny listening to you about that stuff, too. And I see all the commercials now for all these supplements and stuff like that, like like for like diabetes, if you got eczema or... You got yeah. this, but like if you take this, but there's like 20 million side effects, basically you could die. <laughs> yeah. It comes well, down and, to it. And that's, yeah. And supplements are different than medication. I mean, they do take an element of herbal from naturally occurring substances and they patent them with synthetic substances to create pharmaceuticals. But really, you know, it's still that diagnose and manage model. There's not a pill for every ill. It's really about teaching people how to take care of themselves and how to stay healthy. So what that looks like is teaching them about their diet, teaching them about their emotions, teaching them about how they communicate with each other in relationships. So teaching these patients how to really live a more natural and holistic lifestyle. Well, I was, something else was interesting too. I was reading your bio and stuff about holistic healing and stuff like that. And yeah. one thing that one thing that stood out to me was Native American spiritual work. How does that yeah. connect to about something you do? So when I was young, um, and my mother got really sick, so you know she went to allopathy and, and has to be on medications and all of those things. But there was a limit to what it could do. You know, like she would be on a different protocol for maybe like a month or two, and then it wouldn't work anymore. And so she'd have a, a breakdown. They go to the hospital. It's like this cycle again and again and again. So she really went to her Native American roots, right, to be able to help facilitate healing. So I grew up also running around labs, but then in 
in kind, also doing sweat lodges and vision quests and doing prayer ties and really connecting more with my Native American ancestry. So I grew up with this idea that there was the science that you could prove or disprove, but then there was more of this faith-based healing that you couldn't necessarily prove or disprove, but you actually knew that it worked. And as a Native American, we're very connected with nature, and so it would make sense that I would become a naturopath. It's interesting too. I, I'm, I'm not I'm not familiar with it, but I, when Native Americans when back when before they was in medicine, they they had all the all the, all the stuff in nature. It's fast. Yeah. It's fascinating. All the stuff they could find. Can you give me an example they could find? Maybe if they were going in for something. I don't. Can you have an example? Because it's kind of curious. Yeah, in terms of like from the Native American perspective. Yes. They did a lot of like forging and wild crafting and things like that, like picking herbs. Now, it's interesting because I'm not an herbalist, actually. I'm, I'm more of a homeopath, but we do use herbs for different things, right? So, you know, lavender, for instance, is an adaptogen. If somebody, with their mood, they're too kind of, let's say, manic, right, or too hyper, right, it will help bring them down. Also, alternately, if they're depressed, it'll also bring their energies back up, too. So it's a good balancer. I always saw lavender just for the smell, like a, like a candle, a lavender candle in the, in the living room, but just for a nice smell. I didn't realize it could do stuff like it, that. It has medicinal benefit, yes. That's very interesting. It's interesting. People are diffusing them a lot more now. <laughs> well, one thing that's interesting, too, the reason I brought you, one, we wanted to talk about and brought you on today is talk about men and their emotional health. How do they be a good role model for their children? Because I know as a man, sometimes it's hard. It's hard. I think I'm a little different. I, I do cry in front of my son, but <laughs> but what 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 is holding men back with their emotions? Well, I think men are really programmed um, to suppress their emotions. I don't think that they're really taught um, to validate and acknowledge their emotions, you know, and that goes really back to primitive time frame, you know, where if you showed any kind of weakness, a neighboring tribe could, you know, murder the, the, the other tribe, right? And so men are really hardwired to be protectors. They're also hardwired to be more providers. So they really, so if you have that protective role, right? you're not necessarily going to be as connected to your emotions because, you know, if you're connected to your emotions and you're trying to protect something, that, that's that's very risky, right? And so now we're not necessarily, you know, uh, traditionally speaking, like, you know, neighboring tribes anymore. It's not as primitive as it once was. We're more of an industrialized um, age. And so, but we still have that hardwiring. So I think, and then society says, you know, oh, you got to be strong. You got to be a man. You know, men don't cry. You know, we have all these really crazy ideas that have been presented in our culture that have been accepted. And so, you know, men really you know, going through this kind of shift right now um, in terms of getting more in touch with their emotional bodies, their emotional health, and not really knowing necessarily what to do with that, especially because of all the societal pressures. But I think it's very critical because this new generation of children coming out, especially the boys, are very sensitive, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that now all of a sudden they're gender confused, right? Or they have any kind of, you know, I mean, there is definitely transgender and things like that going on. But I think there is a balance between a human being having whatever gender they are between having um, healthy emotions and healthy logic. And even with women as well, like, we also have to move more into a logical space, not as reactive emotionally, but also too, and I think that has to do with women's liberation, but that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you think men express it differently though? I mean, we don't, we're not, we don't scream, cry. Like, um, I mean, I had to cry for my son once in a while, I guess, but um, yeah. we don't express it. We express it differently. Do we maybe through anger, maybe through yelling, maybe through 
doing different things. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's fascinating because anger is more of a protective emotion and actually covers the more vulnerable emotions. So typically speaking, men, you know, and I'm generalizing, of course, but they'll default to kind of one of two emotions, neutral or pissed off. And they don't necessarily have the depth, the emotional depth that we as women have. So that that can become a challenge for sure until they really under begin to understand more logically what their their emotions are. And, and that's a process, right? Because, you know, even as a woman, right, like understanding deeply what my emotions are and then being able to articulate that in a way that's, you know, clear for another human being to understand. There's a lot that's going on. It's like, okay, there's some sort of action or upset. I have a feeling, right? I have to acknowledge what the feeling is, put a name on the feeling, then be able to express that feeling. And then the other person has to acknowledge and understand that feeling. I mean. If you're not exhausted just by me going through all of that, then... <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot going on, you know. Well, another interesting too. I was reading psychology today before prepping for the interview and stuff like that. And one of the things a quote from the article was: many men experience their feelings through physical complaints, not as common to see experience feel, feeling through such as headaches and backaches too. I mean, yeah. I'm not sure that happens in both genders, but that's interesting to think about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you definitely store emotions in your in your body in different areas that are locked up. And so it that energy, you know, emotions are energy, right? Mm-hmm. And as Einstein taught us, they cannot be created nor destroyed, but they can be transformed, right? And so what happens is is if I if I have this lingering emotion that I don't really acknowledge or understand and I internalize that emotion, I'm going to internalize that within the body. The practice of understanding that is actually psychoneuroimmunology, the emotional manifestations of disease. And so because that energy is stored and it's not being exerted in any way that's healthy, right, or transformed, I'm going to store it in my body and it's eventually going to create suffering and eventually can potentially create disease. Eastern medicine, even though I'm a Western doctor, Eastern medicine has known this for since the dawn of time, right? And they create emphasis on like you look at acupuncture and things like that blockages of chi can be done from anger, right? So like the liver, for instance, is related to anger. So if somebody is continually angry and they're upset and they're unable to acknowledge that anger, they're going to store it uh, in their liver. Low back is actually a lack of support. So if a person is chronically, you know, feeling low back, now I'm not saying that it's just that, right? But Mm -hmm. it begins there. And so, you know, you're going to have a physical practice, but also to understand that there's a, a connection and that's that holistic part. There's an emotional connection to these kinds of things. Um, and which is really important. I think for men, especially the way that they transform a lot of their emotional upsets is through physical exercise and physical activity, because that's something that they can do in order to help them feel better. It's like going, it's like I'm going outside, hanging up a punching bag. And when you're really aggravated about something and just beat the heck out of the punching bag until yeah. you feel a little better, get the, and get a little of the stress off and stuff like that. But it's also a lot of negative things too. One of the negative things that, you know, some people deal with their anger, but go on a, like a, say a bad direction. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They implode, you know, they implode. And then, yeah. And especially you see this a lot with grief. So let's say, you know, something tragic happens. Like I lose a child or I lose a parent unexpectedly or you lose a friend or a spouse or something like that, right? If I don't actually deal and face that that emotional upset and I just kind of hold it on, it's almost, it's a pressure cooker. And so it's just, you know, just like a pot of water, 
it's going to eventually boil over and it's going to just impact relationships. It's going to impact my job. It's going to impact my thinking process because those emotions just have not been able to be processed out. And so your actions, so simply put, right, your thoughts, whatever you're thinking creates your emotions and then your emotions create your actions and then your actions create your behaviors. So if you have actions and behaviors that are not in alignment with your goals, you can kind of take that step back and go, okay, what, what emotions have I not dealt with? And, and that can be challenging because we have blind spots. There's things we can't necessarily see. And so we have to not only think critically, think objectively, but also utilize other people that love us and we feel safe with and we trust, like a partner, et cetera, to be able to allow us to see parts of ourselves that we're unable to see or unwilling to see because the ego will definitely block us from seeing our shadow side or seeing these sides of ourselves that are not as pretty, even though now we don't fear the neighboring tribe and it's not this kind of fight or flight response. Now, really one of our, our biggest fear drivers is the fear of either looking good or, or excuse me, the, the, the desire to look good rather and the, or the fear of not looking good. So we don't want to be embarrassed and we kind of try to avoid that at all costs. And so part of that is seeing and acknowledging the, the things, the flaws that don't really work for us or, or not really healthy. And so there's a lot to be able to be said, looking at yourself very objectively in order to have more emotional intelligence. Well, it's interesting too, also to being, being a dad myself, I want to be a good role model for my son when it comes to my emotional health. Yeah. What are some sets if a man, like, a, like a, even a woman could be too, or to be a good example and what steps so they could go through. If they're going through some grief or something to be a good role model for their kids. Yeah. And so I think it's important to, to communicate, right? I think it's important to say things like, you know, I get, or I acknowledge that I haven't been myself or I acknowledge that I'm angry or I acknowledge that I'm upset. And I want you to know that this is not your fault because a lot of times with kids, they, because they're still in the id, they assume, right, that anything and everything has to do with them. And so, you know, they don't understand you're frustrated because, you know, you lost your job or you're frustrated because you're fighting with your spouse or whatever. They don't get all that. They're, they just have their little spidey senses. And so we have to really be mindful as parents not to get so consumed with our world and our emotions that we forget the impact that our moods and our emotions have on other people. I think dads, especially, they don't realize how big and larger than life they are, right? <laughs> and how so many kids, you know, girls or boys, right, put their, their fathers on such a pedestal, even though we all know as adults, it's like, look, we're all fallible and human, right? But little kids don't know that. You're magical. You're like, you know, their superhero. And so their first superhero. And so we want to be really sensitive to their needs and help them to understand that, you know, I have these emotions, you have these emotions too. And also model behavior of like, okay, so I'm really angry, son, you know, and so this is what I do. I go punch the punching bag when I get angry, right? And what's so cool about kids is as soon as you start to teach them this language and this understanding, I mean, they pick it up like that. I remember when my daughter teaching her about this and I would see she would be angry and she would just kind of bottle up and I would say to her, I see that you're angry, you know, and eventually over time she would go, I'm just so angry, right? It's because I gave her that language and I gave her that communication. Well, you mentioned dads. Was your dad your superhero when you were growing up? Uh, What was was my dad actually was my superhero? You know, 
I don't even think he wanted to be my superhero, <laughs> um, you know, because he, he's he's I think he's more of a you know they're they're dads that are more like boy dads and they're more dads that are like girl dads and I hate to even say that but like, that's <laughs> the way it is and so you know my dad had a real you know my my parents were both Marines as well right my dad was a drill instructor so oh my wow had, <laughs> yeah my dad had a heart and I was very emotional right and so my dad really had a hard time with connecting with all of that. I mean, I mean, even still, I mean, as he's gotten older, I think it's been easier, but we definitely, and we're so alike. So that was the other piece of it. It's like, you know, totally butting heads, right? But I think for the longest time, my dad was my superhero. And I looked to my dad really to give me that acknowledgement, that support, everything that I was looking for until I recognized, wait a second, like, you know, I'm, I'm chasing, you know, uh, dragons, right? Um, and because he just didn't have that. He's old school, right? He didn't have that presence. He didn't have that understanding, that sensitivity, right? He wasn't wired that way. I mean, you can't be a sensitive Marine. That just doesn't even, not you know. Being be a drill instructor, too, you can't, no. <laughs> I'm sorry that you're not, you know, awake at whatever, oh, dark 30, but, you know, I mean, there's there's not a whole lot of, you know, validation going on in that world. It's just do this or else because I told you. And so even though he wasn't necessarily like that, you know, that was his wiring. That was his thinking. So it really was unrealistic of me to expect him to, to be this other person. But, you know, again, as a little girl, you don't get that. You don't understand that. You don't you don't connect with any of that. As children, we just don't get it. And so I think the first step really for emotional intelligence for dads to their sons, especially, is really being vulnerable and showing like, look, I don't have all the answers. I have no idea, but let's figure this stuff out together, right? Like I'm excited because I'll tell you this new generation is totally different. I got to ask one question though. Yeah. Did, when you made your bed in the morning when you were a kid, did your father come in and make sure the creases were right and <laughs> get bounced a quarter out that thing? I wanted to make sure I was curious. I was kind of curious. Yeah, yeah, you're like, wait a second. Like, we got to get to the important stuff. I want to see a bounce the quarter off the bed with the tight corners and the, and you got to be, it could be folded a certain way and, and no, no no dust in the floor. Exactly. That's funny. (laughs) I had to ask that question. I thought it was kind of fun. Because you're a drill instructor. I I was in the army. I remember going through and learning how to fold it. And if the drill instructor was upset with it, he flipped the bed. So I was wondering. (laughs) No, no, he like very, he like kept everything inside. He was very controlled, right? So you could see when he was emotionally upset about something, but you would, he would never verbalize it. Like now we have conversations and he can communicate, right? I think age, age does that to men. But, but back then when he was younger, like, he was just so tight, but he was, but it was interesting because he's also a very funny guy too. So it was, you know, that way he was either like very controlled or like joking about everything. There wasn't really like, you know, this kind of in between world. I, n- I never got to see that, that side of, I'm sure his wife saw that side of him, but I, but I never saw that side of him. I think he really struggled with emotion as I think a lot of men in his generation did. I mean, Again, like we got that crazy and he comes from a big military family and his dad was in the military and all his brothers are in the military, you know, lots of boys, no girls, you know, so there, there was, there was a lot of that masculine energy and a lot of that, those crazy ideas passed down generationally of what it means to be a man. You got to be tough. You got to do this. You got to do that. And I think so many men struggle with that. And they, they try to reach this kind of unattainable bar because at the end of the day, men are human like everybody else. And so, you know, it really plagues on self-esteem. It plagues on all kinds of elements of, of 
self-worth and all of those things, when they're like confused, they're feeling these feelings, right? But then there's, they're being told by society or whomever else what it means to be a man, which is not what they're feeling. And so there's a disconnect and there's really nobody to help them to understand the congruence. Why is it that I think and feel like this, but why am I being told that this is not what's happening? What, what's going on? What's wrong with me? So those are some of the subtle subconscious dilemmas that happen with men. Well, it's funny you say that too about um, like generational stuff like that. I remember back a long time, grandma 2000, my great great aunt passed away. She was a nun and we went to the funeral and my grandma was there and I was crying. I was probably, I don't know, I was close to 20. <laughs> I think I was. And she turned to me, boys don't cry. She was serious about it. But as you can see, it's a generational thing. I mean, I was upset because this woman played a big part in my life, and she now finally passed away. She was 92. So it was, it was interesting to see that uh, generational things you know, and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. And I think now this generation more than ever is requiring us to really face ourselves and really examine does this work? Do we want to pass this down to our future generations? My mother, because of her mental illness, was very non-self-regulating emotionally. It was up, it was down. It was up, it was down. It was very unpredictable. We, we did, you know, we never knew who and what and where. And I didn't want to pass that down to my daughter. I wanted my daughter to be more self-regulating. I wanted her to acknowledge her emotions, have emotional intelligence, and, and really healthy emotional health, I guess, you know, I'll say that <laughs> word again, but you know, so, so I, I really did do, did my due diligence to educate myself on it, to experience it, give myself skills and tools because I just didn't want her to be a product of a product. I mean, that was just absolutely non-negotiable for me. Unfortunately with my mother's mental illness, I was very badly abused too, physically, emotionally, verbally, so it was it was extremely important to me to make sure that my daughter didn't have those long lasting scars, right? I mean, I I was diagnosed with post traumatic stress at fourteen. I mean, my home was a oh. war zone for crying out loud. And so it was so important to me that my daughter grew up in a very peaceful home, and I wanted her to know what a healthy family was like, even though I didn't necessarily come from that experience. I mean, going through, um, what you said about post-traumatic stress at 14, going through stuff like that, I kind of relate to that a little bit. My childhood was kind of like craziness and smashing, yelling, screaming, cops showing up and stuff like that. Yeah, insanity. I, yeah. I never really thought about that. How was you diagnosed with post-traumatic stress as a kid? Because I never thought of it until you mentioned it right now. Yeah, well, I will tell you, it was not pretty. I mean, be, being very physically abused. I mean, my my mother, one of her personalities would check off and choke us and kick us. And, you know, it was very, very violent. And so going back and forth to school, social services coming over. And at that time, social services really didn't do much. Like they come in, they see. And, and the other piece of it too is I didn't grow up in like a ghetto or, or grow up in, you know, a socioeconomically challenged home. I grew up in very wealthy communities where things like that just don't happen. So it was very confusing for people. And so social services would come out. Virginia also, a corporal punishment, punishment is legal. And so um, I grew up partially there and partially in California. And so there there really wasn't a whole lot of resources. So, but I would have uh, a lot of emotional reactions, emotional upset. 
I would go from one extreme to another. Eventually, or in the beginning, they would say, oh, well, you're bipolar or, you know, and I was of that generation where they drugged children. Mm -hmm. So, and my mother was very afraid that I was going to develop a mental illness. So I was like in therapy in first grade and it was, it was a lot. So they were like giving me all kinds of pills for spiritol and lithium and Eventually, um, I took myself off of them because I knew what was happening. They really weren't teaching or understanding the impact of environment. They all, they thought, oh, this is just a chemical thing, and and we got to fix the kid. There's something wrong with the kid. They didn't. I mean, it just didn't cross their mind. Well, oh, this woman is really unwell, and because of that, it's creating. You know. Now they have ACE scores, adverse childhood experiences. I don't know if you're familiar with that scoring, but um, you can actually Google it and look online in terms of children that have experienced, you know, mental health or they've had a, a, a parent incarcerated or a single parent home or they've experienced abuses. The scale is zero to five and mine was a 10 just to give you kind of a, an idea. Right. And so I, of course I got into drugs and I got into alcohol really young and, you know, sex and all kinds of different things. Right. And eventually I got myself out of the home. I ran away um, and they put me in a, in an institution. Right. And when I was in an institution is when I couldn't sleep. I didn't, I didn't sleep until I was probably in my thirties, you know, just because my mother was so unpredictable. She had disassociative identity disorder, which is multiple personalities. Mm -hmm. And so you never knew who, who you were dealing with ever. And so they saw that when, when I went into the facility, they saw, Oh, you know, she can't sleep. She's waking up in night sweats. She's afraid. She's terrified. I mean, like I said, the first, the first, 15, 16 years of my life were spent literally terrorized, like fearful beyond just simple, like, oh my gosh, my parents are going to kill me because I, I didn't get an A on a test or whatever. Like this was very extreme. So that's kind of how I got a formal diagnosis of post-traumatic stress, just because the 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 level of complexity to it. But again, like not everyone needs to have a lifetime television movie like I did in order to have experienced some aspects of trauma. I think even if it comes to your mind, like, Hmm, maybe I had some trauma. You probably did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you much. Thank you for sharing that. I really do appreciate that's a lot of you're open up and I really do appreciate you sharing that. One thing, one thing came there like corporal punishment. I mean, that's one thing about a men's emotions. Like some people like say, smack your kid in the ass. If he's, I I shouldn't even say, I'll probably bleep that out. Smack your kid on the butt when he's misbehaving. That's, you know, but I'm like, my, my whole thing is I think hitting breeds hitting. Yes, it totally does. It really does. It's not, it's not an effective tool to be able to teach now. Okay. There's some instances. So so like my daughter was literally, I mean, H-E double hockey sticks on wheels, right? Because I didn't have the emotional intelligence. I mean, I had her four days before I turned 19 years old, right? So I had no, you know, like, and those were my, that was my upbringing, right? So I really had a split brain in terms of like the skills and techniques and tools, right, that I learned. And then there was this huge gap in terms of what is considered healthy, right? And so I, and I also, because my parents were so strict and so restrictive, right? 
I went the whole opposite direction. I was like, I don't want to squelch her. I just want her <laughs> to explore. I want her to, you know, I, don't, I just want her to bloom. Okay, well, my daughter needs structure, right? <laughs> like, but it took me a while to figure that out, right? And so when she was, I mean, absolutely off the chain in her teenage years, right? She's she's 17 now, so it's, it's a lot different. But, <laughs> but those pre-adolescent years, adolescent, I mean, I was like losing my mind. Right. And so I would give her so many opportunities and so much structure. And I'd be like, you can't, I mean, she would get burner phones. I'd take her phone away. She'd go get a burner phone. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was just to the point where I was very intentional at that time. Cause I had exhausted everything. I'd have her do burpees. I would, have, I would, have, I mean, <laughs> I literally did everything I possibly could. And then it was like, there's nothing left. I got to spank you. I'm going to give, and I was very deliberate with it. I'm going to give you 10 spankings on your butt. You're going to, I mean, I mean, this is, you know, <laughs> I mean, I really didn't want to do it. So for your listeners that use that, there is an effective way to use it, that it doesn't breed that, but a lot of times what happens is it's like kick the dog, right? So if I have a, you do something that I don't like, I have a emotional reaction to it. And then I'm going to smack you or do whatever. That is what breeds hitting because you're teaching your children. That's, um, that's how you handle emotion. And that's what's unhealthy. Well, it's also too, is I feel like if I'm, if he does something really bad, it really gets me angry. I'm just angry with myself and I'm hitting him out of anger. I'm not teaching him anything and I'm going to hurt him because I'm furious. Yeah. And he's only seven, so I have a long way to go. But yeah. uh, <laughs> Best but, of luck. Godspeed. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I mean, I, it's like hitting. I always saw the hitting, breeding, hitting, and that's one of the yeah, things. not healthy. Yeah. One thing I was teaching, too, one thing before we wrap up is one thing I want to ask you is, why is some people don't um, like to look for help, like you in your practice or seek therapy yeah. or seek yeah. another voice? Why is it so hard for people to do that? Well, I think there's a, an element of pride attached to it. There's also an element of isolation that's attached to it. There's an internalized depression. There's a, a thought process like you should know better. You should be, you know, you should just get over it. It's not that big of a deal. Especially in the male community, there's so much like, you know, kind of macho machismo kind of like, you know, it's all that old. It's just so old and so played out. And so, so it's like, it's a strategy for sure to internalize everything, right? But you're not immune to the consequences of those choices. So what that leads to, just just so your viewers are clear about the choice they're making, if they if they choose if they see that there are emotional issues from the past that they have not dealt with, whether that be previous marriages, whether that be their childhood, whether that be certain abuses. I mean, especially sexual abuse in men is very traumatizing to a man. I mean, very confusing. And so that definitely needs to get attention and help and that kind of thing. Even post-military, because the, the military, as much as uh, we are so grateful for the military service, there, there are a lot of dynamics with the military that create so much miswiring of things. And so I think it's incredibly important for people to reach out for help, but I understand like that's usually, I mean, some people are like, it's been two years and I'm finally coming in. 
there are people that it takes them that time because to open up yourself to another human being requires a certain level of vulnerability, which brings up fear, which brings up, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to me? And it's all just the ego, you know, telling you crazy stories about what's going on. But the problem is that voice in our head, the ego, we think is us, we think is true. And so that's what stops us and holds us back. But I really believe that if, if at any point somebody thinks you know what I need some more skills I I mean for me it was like I was like this child is way free thinking which of (laughs) course I raised her that way so it's like I could only blame myself but I was like okay wait a second I I need to figure this out I need a workshop I need some seminars I need some people to talk to. I need some resources because if I don't, I'm going to have girls gone wild on my hands and that's not going to help. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, yeah. <laughs> also, Bob, another thing too, one thing your practice offers, what kind of plan services, what kind of things you offer at your, your practice? Yeah. So we do obviously the, the standard physical stuff, like the nutritional support. If somebody has a diagnosis and they're looking for more of a natural solution for that diagnosis that doesn't include pharmaceuticals, Because pharmaceuticals do serve a role to be able to stabilize things, but they're not the be-all, end-all. We're trained to find the cause of why a disease happened to begin with. So we're more of like the medical detectives. So like allopathic doctors are more of the firefighters. We're more of the medical detectives. We're the ones who come back and figure out why the fire started to begin with. And then really helping with relationships and helping that mental and emotional support. I mean, I'm so grateful that so many people have entrusted me with their their lives and helping them to guide them. And there's no judgment. There's no shame. I obviously, I've had my own crazy world, right? And so I bring that experience and it's really just two humans. Like, yeah, I'm a doctor. I have all these degrees, but but really I'm a human being who has struggled just like anybody else. And I mean, because my wacky upbringing, I was like, okay, so obviously this is not healthy, I'm going to go on a voyage to figure out what is healthy and then be able to help other people navigate through the waters of humanity because we really struggle with this thing called being a human. I mean, there's so much nuance to it mentally and emotionally. And I mean, two Marines like shut it down. We don't, we don't feel emotions. And I'm like, but why am I crying? You know, so like, <laughs> you know, so, so I've had to learn a lot of tools. And then with that, these deep explorations, we can only meet people as deep as we're willing to meet ourselves. And so I'm so grateful to help guide people through from a very practical perspective. It's not theory. I'm not going to break out Carl Jung on you and talk to you about, <laughs> I'm going to give you, okay, so so this is this communication. This is that communication. This is what this means. I work with married people all the time. It's so much fun. And they've been married for like 30, 40 years. And they come in and I'm like, do you guys like each other? I don't know, you know, what's going on here. So those are some of the things it's very, like I said, it's holistic. If you're concerned, like I was about like not moving forward, all the crazy stuff from my parents past, right. And breaking those cycles. I definitely am a huge champion of that and really help guide you through all the nuances. Really. It's more skill building. So where they also, where they can connect. I want to reach out to ask more questions. Yeah, so our website is holisticfamilypracticeva.com. We're on all the socials. I'm on LinkedIn, Dr. Erica Steele, um, Holistic Family Practice on Facebook, uh, Holistic Family Practice on Instagram. Also, too, I have a Dr. Erica Steele on Facebook and Instagram. I'm also a big proponent of natural health care and medical freedom, so I'm involved in legislation both on the national level as well as the state level for naturopathic doctors. Dr. Garcia, all the links will be in the show notes for this episode. I really want to say thank you very much for being on the podcast this afternoon. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. 
wrapping up this episode, I want to thank Dr. Erica Steele for being a guest on the podcast. You can find more about her over at holisticfamilypractice.com. You can find all the information links for this episode at nosittingonthesideline.com slash 109. Hey, please reach out, leave a comment or a question. If you have something, how do you thought about the show? I would, or just say hello. I'd love to hear what you have to say. You can find all my information and contact me at nosittingonthesideline.com slash contact. Also, if you have a minute and you'd like to support the show, go to nosittingonthesideline.com slash support. You can find all the links for the store with T-shirts or one-time donation or buy me a cup of coffee or Patreon. If you're interested in the show and want to help support, please check it out. Final, final thoughts. This episode really made me think about mental health and emotional health. It's okay to talk about this topic. I know sometimes people don't want to say, I got it all together. It's okay. No, you need help. You need to talk to somebody. It's okay. So you don't need to be isolated. Go have a, say help. Have a conversation with a professional or like a therapist. I'll be honest with you. It's not easy to talk about this stuff, but it's probably a good thing. We do. Well, thank you for listening. Until next time, take care. Give your kids a hug. Tell them what you love them. Hey, reach out to somebody who might be going through a tough time or something. Say, hey, listen, I'm here for you, buddy. I, I really appreciate it. Well, until next time, take care. God bless. See ya.